we are a proud member of the 143 Podcast Network. The Cheers to Comics Podcast is proudly affiliated with NSCLiveTV.com. That's No Signal Comics. NSCLiveTV.com. Find the Cheers to Comics Podcast on channel 34 of NSCLiveTV.com. No Signal Comics. The best in auction action. Well, hello again and welcome back to the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm your host, Brian Wayne, and this is episode 194, which just so happens to be a creator corner. This week, I have cornered the creator that goes by the name of Mark Russell. You may recognize Mark Russell from such comic books as Second Coming and Billionaire Island. Uh, yeah, dude's a beast. Dude's a beast. Uh, there's there's so many reasons I wanted to talk to Mark Russell. And I got the opportunity to ask him a bunch of questions. A whole bunch of questions, everything from uh, his, his religious stances and why he chooses to write the stories he does and all types of other things. Yeah, of course, we dive into his history and his upbringing into the industry and all of that good stuff like I tend to do. So... Uh, before we jump into the conversation with Mark Russell, I gotta remind you to check out Hooked on Comics. Hooked on Comics is some of the best auction action the internet has to offer. When you're looking for comic books for great bargains, great bargains, you tune into Hooked on Comics, obviously, um, uh, through nsclivetv.com, or you find them on Facebook, or you could find them on the Cheers to Comics Facebook page, because you know I'd be sharing out my sponsors. And you tune in on Tuesdays at 6 Eastern Time and Saturdays at 7 Eastern Time, and you're going to find all types of deals, uh, bargain bins, and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, once again, Tuesdays at 6 Eastern and Saturdays at 7 Eastern on nsclivetv.com, Facebook, and the Cheers to Comics Facebook page, or group page. So... There you go, and as always, nsclivetv.com is always your home for the best in auction action. Now, without further ado, I bring to you the conversation with the magnificent, the mighty, Mark Russell. Alright, Mark Russell, how are you, man? Doing good. Surviving. Yes, yes, you and the rest of us, man. Thanks to comics. Thanks to comics. Even without comics, there's still plenty to, plenty to read and catch up on. And that's that's kind of how this interview happened. I uh, I had the opportunity to do some do some back reading, and Second Coming was staring me down for way too long now since the sixth issue came out. I was waiting for it to all end, but so I guess I, I haven't been yeah. waiting too long. But well, and, and I think it, you know, it was kind of written to be read as a book even though we released it single issue so it, it's it doesn't hurt anything to wait for the trade to come out i think which probably shouldn't say that from a marketing standpoint but really as a reading experience i think it's it's uh, probably better to read it as a, as a book yeah yeah after going through and checking it out i i, I definitely have to agree even I, I did buy it in single issues i mean i have all six issues and i was just stacking them and waiting you know i, I prefer even if i know i'm gonna wait for something and trade I'm just a fiend, and I still have to have it in single issues. <laughs> well, God bless you. That keeps. That's probably what keeps the the industry afloat. 
Uh, you know, I honestly feel like that is the only thing on this planet I'm supposed to be doing is making sure that uh, the comic industry is... <laughs> <laughs> is going well, um, you got more purpose than the, mo- than the rest of us, than most of us. Well, I don't know about all that. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's, uh, you know, I, I got to say the cliche, it's strange times right now, but uh, I mean, how has the corona effect affected you, Mark Russell? Well, I mean, uh, I, I realize that my experience is probably a lot different than a lot of people's in a way, in a way I'm speaking from a place of privilege. But it hasn't affected me a great deal because I, uh, I work from home to begin with, or more accurately, I, I work from the library or coffee shops or wherever I would set up my laptop to work. So the big change is that I'm not able to do that. I'm just having to, like, work at home and when it's nice outside work on my deck which is not a big it's not a big problem at all uh so i've had it a lot better i think than most people uh throughout this thing and and in fact i think the silver lining is the fact that all my usual haunts and social activities have been denied me it's forced me to sort of like live a more monastic existence so i'm spending a lot more time reading and spending a lot of time uh alone with my thoughts so I, I hate to say it, but in a lot of ways, it's it's worked out very well for me. And I and I, and I say that with hesitation because I know for a lot of people, it's 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 not been it's not work, it's not been fun at all for them. Well, there, there's no shame in finding a silver lining. There's no shame in that at all. And I'm glad that you're one of the people that have been able to find a silver lining in all of this. Um, how how's this affected you with the con season? Are are you somebody that you know heavily relies on the con circuit, or is this this kind of I don't really rely on it, but I but I really enjoy it. And and yeah, you know, it's like other arts, performing arts. You get instant feedback from the audience. Like if you're an actor on a stage or you're a musician or something, you, you you get the feedback from the audience as you're performing your art. But as a writer, you don't really get that. You work in isolation, and you know, maybe six or seven months before what you write even comes out. And and so the cons were always kind of that chance to actually interact live with the fan. It's like that was the that was the my what I really loved about it is that that's my opportunity to sort of finally get the feedback to the song or to the um, performance I I did like sometimes up to a year beforehand, and and so I definitely miss that. But I, I didn't really rely on them too much financially or anything. So I, I didn't get a huge hit from that. Yeah, it definitely is a um, it definitely was a disappointment not to be able to go to any of the cons. I had a bunch of them lined up this year too, and I, I wasn't able to go to any of them. Which uh, I just think, is, you know, made, made me sad because I was looking forward to meeting readers. Yeah, yeah, I know it's definitely a bummer for myself as a fan because you know I'm not a big fan of the whole convention thing itself. The only thing I go for is to be able to communicate with the people that create the things I love, and that's and that's just the artist alley. I'm not talking about the celebrities. You'll never see me standing in line for a celebrity at one of those things. I'm here. Yeah, you know. there's nothing wrong with that. I don't I don't fault anybody for any reason they go to one of these things. It's they're all kind of celebrations of like the culture that makes you feel like a part of the universe. But, but yeah, I, for me, it was like really about the, the human connections. It was about yeah. like getting to see other creators that I haven't seen in a long time, you know, friends and, and also to, to meet readers and have people talk to you about how your work has, has moved them and affected them. It's a very profound experience for, for a writer because it, it's, it's, you know, like you've sent your writing is like sending a message in a bottle out, mm. you know, you're sending hundreds of these messages in a bottle out from the desert Island you live your life on. And then meeting a reader is like kind of getting a bottle back, so it, it's it's a it's a 
really gratifying experience as a writer and I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to have it really this year yeah yeah no it's uh it's, it's just one of those things where you know where we're the world is disappointed in so many ways there's so many things we missed out on but uh, easily the opportunity for me to you know shake some creators hands is the biggest the biggest downfall for me man that's that's for sure so but it's good to know that you it, it didn't hurt you uh in a, in a sense to where you know you you had to find a contingency plan to try to survive you know this is just something that you enjoy doing and i think that's that's all the uh, <laughs> that backs up the fact that why you're such a good creator because you can't get into this unless you really enjoy comics you're not into it for fame or fortune by any means oh so, god god help the person who's in it for fame and fortune man that's well, we won't know those people the because they're tree. not going to make it. <laughs> you know, that's uh, yeah. Well, I don't think we'll ever know any of those people. Yeah, um, that's at least just sad. I'm not breaking it now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, that's it's it's good to know that you you are a fan of the fans. That you're you're a you're a fans writer. Um, so I, I like to to know everything about the people that create the things I love. So I have to go back in time just a little bit. I need you to tell us, Mark, what what was your first experience with comics? Is this something that you've been as a doing reader? your whole life? Yeah, as a reader. I think. Well, I you know, as a kid, I would read you know whatever was in the spinner rack, you know, like Mighty okay. Mouse comics or Donald Duck. But the first time I actually kind of thought, wow, this is this is an art form. This is something that I could I could write myself. Was a uh, a, f a friend of mine uh, gave me his, lent me his uh, copies of, this gives you a clue how old I am, but gave me some copies of like V for Vendetta, like nice. the, the, the comics. And I was like, wow, this is like really meaningful and, and profound and not like any comic book I'd ever read before. So that was what kind of clued me to the, the idea that this is like actually a, an artistic medium like any other, uh, as valid as like literary fiction or, you know, film. And, but I didn't really aspire to write comics uh, until I got the opportunity to. And I always imagined I would write novels or nonfiction books. And it wasn't until I actually got the chance to write a comic book, I realized that I actually resonate pretty well in this medium. This medium actually, like, uh, I segue pretty well. My mind works in a way that, that I think that syncs up with, with comics pretty well. In a way it wouldn't doesn't necessarily with other mediums all right well that, that's 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 awesome um so uh you had aspirations to write before i mean who were some of your influences i mean you said v for vendetta was the thing that really drew you in were you always drawn to the indie writers or i mean were you uh, always i mean who, who really influenced you the most as far as uh just wanting to be able to do this yourself well, and, I had not the necessarily in comics, but altogether. I, I uh, had the luxury of growing up in a college town, uh, albeit in the um, the extreme rural edge of a college town. So it was sort of a, a almost like a, a an exist almost like living on a farm. We didn't have a farm, but it was like almost like living in the country. But you'd go to like the local bookstore, and there'd be books by like anarchists and you know uh, really heady science fiction writers and stuff. So it wasn't like it was, it was like being part hippie, part redneck in my upbringing. All right. And the the people, the writers that influenced me were were more like kind of like the uh, science fiction writers. People like like Ray Bradbury and, and Kurt Vonnegut um, were probably my biggest literary influences. And as a kid, I used to go to the the used paperback bookshop and get like ten paperback books for a dollar. 
and I would devour those. And, I, I, and that was much more, I think, an influence on me and my writing and what I saw myself doing than comics were. Okay. Comics were so much more expensive. Uh, and and I, and I had, they were, had easy access to all, you know, like civilization's greatest writers uh, at the local paperback bookshop. I could read the classics. I could, you know, read... Um, I could read Proust if I wanted. I, I, I tried that when I was a kid, and it was just too beyond me. I, I up. But you know, it was. It, the, I, I was more influenced by by them until I began working in comics as a, as a medium. And now I've only like in the last five or six years, I've really begun to appreciate how much uh, equally valid literature there is in, in comics. Even though I know always known it was there. That's awesome. Uh, that, it's it's nice to know that other other art forms and mediums out there can also in, influence a a future comic book creator just outside of reading comics. I mean, it's nice to know that you know V for Vendetta was was awesome and all of that, but to to get it from other novelists and everything, I think that actually, if anything, that that might benefit a comic creator even more. I agree. Um, I think that 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 whatever medium you're working on. I always like the creators who are bringing something from outside that medium. They're not yes. just responding to that medium as a fan. They're not just making movies that are, you know, reconfigurations of movies they've seen before, but they're talking about life. They're talking about like their, their thoughts, their philosophy uh, in a way they're bringing something new, injecting some new genetic material into that medium. And I, those are the comic book creators I like as well. People who are not, not necessarily just, riffing on other comic books or they're not writing because they're they're huge fans of like a certain character they're writing because they they, they there's a story that uh, that only they can tell and only in this medium yeah 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 oh man this is <laughs> i love it i love it um so you, you say you weren't really into comics and or thought about writing comics until the opportunity was presented to you so tell us about your breaking into comics man how did how does that story go yeah, it's a little weird, and it's not really something that uh, I think most people could duplicate. So I, I hate to give this in the guise of like being advice for upcoming creators, <laughs> but I had written a couple books um, about the Bible. Uh, one called "God Is Disappointed in You," in which I sort of shorten every book of the Bible down to three or four pages each, in my modern vernacular. And then another book about the books that didn't quite make it in the Bible, called "Apocrypha Now." And gotcha. so that kind of and they were published by a comics publisher. They were published by Top Shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that kind of put me on the radar of, of some comic book publishers. And I always imagined that that's how I, I broke into comics. But I found out recently that that's not the case, that it wasn't because of these books, but because I was uh, Facebook friends with Marie Javens, who is a, uh, an editor at DC and has been my, my editor on most of my, my comics career there. And she was reading some uh, Count Chocula fan fiction that I was writing on Facebook. <laughs> and then when it became her job to find a writer for a uh, reboot of DC's Prez comic, which ran for like four issues in 1973, which they were looking at rebooting. When it came, when she had to pick a writer for that, she thought, well, what about this guy? This guy's writing some Count Chocula fan fiction. And I think he might be right for it. And DC was crazy enough to take a chance on me. Uh, a hitherto unknown writer. And that's really how I got my break. It was uh, all thanks to, I think, fortuitously timed Count Chocula fan fiction. That's incredible. Um, uh, well, see, you, you, I know that you kind of 
preface by saying, you know, this might not be the story to, uh, to, to, you know, the, the absolute influential story, but I find that quite contrary. If anything, I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, just create something. I mean, just yeah, keep creating that's, something. That's a good point. Yeah. I guess the, the inspirational, uh, lesson from this is to like create stuff because everything you create is a lottery ticket. You never know who's going to scratch it off. Exactly, man. There's, there's 7 billion people on this planet. Someone's going to find something. You know, if yeah. it's good enough, yeah, it'll get known. I think the cream always rises to the top. I know that's super cliche, but I, I do believe that to be true. And I think that's why I'm talking with you right now, man. It started with <laughs> Count Chocula fan fiction and uh, writing stuff about the Bible into, I mean, l- look at this. Like, I, I just, in the few years you've been doing this, man, you, you've done some things. You've definitely done some things. So DC took a chance on you with Prez. Prez is awesome, uh, but you, you've done other things with DC, man. You, you got to do, you got to play with the Wonder Twins. You got to play with the Flintstones. I mean, uh, how, how does all of that come about? I mean, after with DC, just like okay, this is our guy. This guy knows how to to make yeah, things I, fun. I think I kind of got a reputation as the guy you could hand sort of uh, busted properties to, or properties that nobody else wanted to write, and, and sort of do something uh, interesting or at least unique with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so based upon what I did with Prez, they gave me the Flintstones. They offered it to me. And I uh, I was never a big fan of the Flintstones, but I thought, well, you know, there are some interesting things you could do with the Flintstones because this is the story of the world's first civilization. And I have some pretty strong thoughts on civilization and where it's gone wrong. So I'm just going to make the comic about that. And they were mm-hmm. totally fine with it. Yeah, yeah. See, you, you're you're really good at uh, getting DC to to do things that they I, I wouldn't normally see them do. I mean, it really came close to doing something that was completely unprecedented. We'll talk about that <laughs> in a minute. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, they 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 have a lot of faith in you, and because of a Facebook friend, this is crazy, man. I love it. I love yeah, it. It's, clearly, have... it's yeah, it's it's a bit, it's been a weird right, but yeah, I have to give DC credit for taking. Uh, chance on a somebody who was had never worked in comics before and b somebody who um was coming up with what anybody else would have sounded like truly terrible ideas (laughs) like uh the uh oh yeah we're gonna i'm gonna make the flintstones a manifesto about civilization or i'm gonna turn snagglepuss into a, a, a gay southern gothic playwright you know who ran afoul the house on american activities committee in the 1950s and none of which they, they batted an eye at. They, they just let me get away with it all. So, well, know, I, I think I think they recognized your background outside of comics. And, you know, you, you, I, I think they, they, they welcomed that. The, the thing, you know, I mean, just just like we were talking about a second ago. I think they saw something that was like, okay, this guy has something new to bring to the table that no one's, at least here in this room, has seen before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, this is awesome. I should make it clear. I did have some resistance within DC, but it never really reached me because I had also some, some strong proponents, like Marie yes. and, and like Dan DiDio. So I was protected from like the people who were like uh, saying, this guy should be fired and probably burned in effigy. <laughs> I wish well, there were some. I mean, it goes to show how important a great editor really is. Because I mean, uh, God, God forbid that the uh, the the publishers are you know trying to stifle your creativity and yeah. the, you know the editor is an incredibly underrated position in comics. I mean, there are some people out there who imagine the editor just sort of like you know checks your spelling and grammar and whatnot, but that's 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 really just the very very tip of the iceberg. They are also in charge of developing new talent. They 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 
tell you what's not working your stories. They help you develop your vision into like something that will actually work as a comic book. So the editor, in my in my view, is like really the sort of unsung hero of every comic book. I agree. I agree because uh, see, I always have this argument. You know, if something comes out that's objectively wrong um, uh, in, in comics, you know, you, I, I I I never say blame the creator. I I I mean, it's uh, that's the editor, and it, it just goes to show the importance of the editor. And I mean, I'm not trying to say you know we need to hang the editor by any means, but it's just that's the editor's job to catch that stuff, and. Um, I mean, they're just such an important job, an important part of you know a great comic. We can yeah. have the best creators in the world, but if they don't have the right editor, you could really make a creator look bad. Well, in in the editor too. I mean, if a comic, if you take a big gamble on something like you know the Flintstones or whatnot, and it turns out all right and it's well received, the creator, in this case, you know myself and Steve Pugh, tend to get all the credit. <laughs> if if it goes disastrously wrong then the editor tends to be the one who takes all the blame. Hmm. So they really don't get the recognition. I think it really should be more balanced on both ends. Like the, the yeah. editor deserve, deserves a, a, a chunk of the credit when you take a chance and it really pays off and they also deserve a chunk, not all of the blame, when it goes horribly off the rails. Maybe we should start crediting the editors on the front pages of trades that went well, <laughs> just to make sure. I don't know. Yeah, every just every trade that's worth reading really is, I think, a testament to the strength of not only the creative team but also the editor. Because uh, there's a lot of comics out there that have like a really solid pitch idea or a really solid concept for like the first one or two issues, and then it just sort of fizzles out. Even though the comics keep coming, the idea is kind of spent, and you just sort of finish out the trade and, you know, issues four, five, and six are just sort of like people tap dancing for 20 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but, but there's a lot of comics like that. And so when you have a, a trade that's strong and in fact gets stronger, you know, from issue one to issue six to the end and actually works as a complete narrative, that's because a lot of people were pouring their soul into continually coming up with new ideas and challenging each other to uh, expand on the, the central concept that you pitch. No, I, I I agree. I, I I agree, and I I yeah. It's it's the editors really are <laughs> the unsung hero of these these great co- collections, and um yeah, it's it's so hard to find a a good trade that progressively is great all the way through, or gets better all the way through, and there aren't just filler issues or tap dance issues as you like to uh, as as you stated. It's it's very rare. So to have a great and you didn't do a six a five issue arc. You did a six issue arc with Second Coming, and it just like you you have one of those books where it just gets better and better as it went along. Well, thanks. Yeah, and we're hoping to do a lot more too. Ideally, I I think I would write probably twenty four to thirty issues of Second Coming, and I'm already working on a, a um I'm I'm up to I'm working on issue eleven now. So hopefully there will be many more to come. Oh wow. Wow, you, you've been staying busy. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, you, you, you do this book. It be, uh, gets very... You, there's a lot of controversy behind it. Originally, yeah. it was slated to come out with DC. Um, I, first off, I have to ask, I know that DC is, like we said, you know, they let you do things outside the box, but how does this book work at DC? I mean, was this going to launch Black Label? I mean, <laughs> yeah, this, this was maybe so like a, like a little bit of a bridge too far for them, which I, I totally understand. I got no fault them for that because they're ultimately in the business of like 
you know, handling billion dollar properties like Batman and Superman. They're in the business of selling t-shirts and lunch boxes. So how does a comic book about a superhero sharing a bedroom with T or sharing an apartment with Jesus Christ work fit into that? It probably doesn't. Uh, so I don't really harbor any resentment over the fact that second coming didn't work out as a, as a DC thing, even though I think it is totally the sort of title that vertigo would have published oh, yeah. in years past when they were more adventurous and when they were mm. really trying to push the envelope as opposed to just being like another sort of DC imprint. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that ultimately uh, it needed to be the sort of thing where um, you could make it without having to worry about how it affected the rest of your, your franchise revenue. And unfortunately it couldn't be that for DC because uh, of the, the sort of feigned outrage, the the mass-produced sort of controversy that that arose around Second Coming, yeah, which all which like, it, it sounds like it didn't get dumped because DC was just like I don't see a place where this fits. It sounded like they were going to go with it until yeah. the internet happened. Yeah, exactly. It, it was totally they were totally on board with it, and uh, it was going to come out on Vertigo with, without any question until. The controversy just made it a little too hot to handle. And the controversy itself was really pretty manufactured because, one, because nobody had read any of it yet, so they didn't really know what they were getting mad about. And two, uh, it had been announced in July, and there was no controversy at all. It wasn't until Fox News picked it up as like sort of their one of their culture wars stories in like yeah. December uh, that that the controversy started. So it was like. There was a five-month gap between when it was announced and between when people actually decided to be offended by it. So That's to so me, it was just like uh, it was, it, and it was the sort of thing where it's like all the people who were sort of signing this petition to get DC to drop it were not really like comic book buyers to begin with. They were just no. you know, people who were heard of, saw this on you know their on their right-wing conspiracy theory blog or you know the, the Fox News chat room or whatever, and, and just it took the three seconds it required to like click their name onto it. So I don't think it was really a backlash from the comics buying market so much as just like a, uh, a, a, a casualty an innocent bystander in the culture wars. Yeah, no. And I, I, I mean, from an outsider's perspective within the comic book industry, as a, you know, somebody that's very in, in tune with the comic book industry, I'd have to agree. I can't, I, I don't know anybody in that's actually enjoys the industry uh, that was like, oh yeah, no, those that that I can't believe DC did. That was bullshit. Uh, no, <laughs> nothing like that. It was I don't know anybody that was outraged personally. So yeah, and, and and it was good that you know in a way that that it all happened the way it did because it allowed it to go to Ahoy. And I think if if DC had published it, they probably would have like published the six issues like they had originally planned to do, and they just politely thanked me for my contribution. And you know, parted ways uh, with ever never producing another issue of Second Coming, whereas Ahoy is like genuinely behind the project and is um, they're they're looking to publish many more issues of it. So in a way, it all all worked out incredibly well. Yeah, no, I think uh, all of this worked out perfectly. Um, I I do, and you know, I I have so many questions about the. The Ahoy, th I mean, all of this, really, this is, there's just so much surrounding this book. Um, I, I do want to touch on the, the controversy just a touch more. 
Um, in, in a sense that, I mean, how extreme the, the, the controversy was and how someone like you deals with this. Because, yes, it's one thing for the Internet to be like, oh, yeah, no, this is this is wrong and talking about Jesus wrong and all of that. But you, they, from what I understand, D.C. and even yourself went as far as to receive death threats. Am I right on that? Well, I don't know. I, ne- I never really directly received any death threats myself. Okay. I know. I think Richard got some. It's, I mean, it's possible I did, but I just never read them because I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty protective about my presence on social media. Good. So, like, I, uh, if like if like I get a d- direct message or something, and, I, and then the first line seems kind of threatening, I just delete it and I block okay. the person who sent. It. I have, I block like the wind. I, that was the thing too. Is like when this controversy first hit, I was getting all these like sort of hateful messages. And so I just started blocking people and I blocked like maybe like 50 people. And then the entire controversy, at least, you know, the people who were, it just evaporated. Like, Mm -hmm. so to me, it said that there weren't that many people who were really angry about it because I blocked like a few dozen people. uh, And then all of a sudden, all of the sort of hate mail and the the angry messages just stopped. So it wasn't like this, this, you know, in social media, sometimes it feels like, they're, the villagers are out there with their pitchforks and their, their torches and the whole village is after you where really it's just like sometimes just, just 10 people like just <laughs> doing it over and over, you know, and, and, and it's not like they're, they're, they're together. It's like, there's one in like Ukraine, there's one in like Baltimore, yeah. there's one. Like <laughs> so it, it, it really is. It, the social media has done a great job of making the sort of outrage, this mass outrage feel more, outraged than it really is it's really just a few isolated individuals just speaking very loudly once you block a few of them then you realize just how shallow the outrage really is i think that's the lesson to be learned there and that's that's really what i was hoping to pull out of that question was the proper way to deal with it and it sounds like that is by far the best way to do it as a social media protocol it's like if somebody's trolling me you know um like i usually if if I if I don't think they're dangerous, I'll usually just mute them. And if I feel like this person's potentially psychotic, or, then I'll then I'll block them. Good. I I I just didn't want to hear that Mark Russell was locked up in his house and for two months because you know his bomb threats coming to him. I no, just I, I just okay. It cool. never got to that point. Right on. Right on. In I fact, just know how extreme the, uh, some of these people are. <laughs> I, was, I, I actually had conversation people who you know sort of stepped to me politely and like voiced sort of like. Like concerns like in a civil way like i actually engaged some of them on social media and talked okay. to them and they might not have come away seeing things the way i did but they i they at least were you know able to sort of see from my perspective and i was able to, to, to see from theirs and we actually just had a, like a decent conversation about two people approaching the same topic from different angles it was always me sort of really rewarding in the same way that like hearing from fans are when you can talk about somebody who does not like your work or does does not understand what you're doing and still sort of come away as as like being able to be decent to each other, that I find that every bit as rewarding and, and gratifying. And, and it gives me hope for the world. So if anything, the controversy and people sort of who did contact me who I was willing to interact with sort of gave me, you know, they, they added to my conviction that this is a, the sort of project the world needs. I love it, man. You were just awesome at finding the silver lining and 
dark, dark corners. <laughs> this is this is great. Um, so uh, DC parts ways with you, but they do something I thought was awesome because you know I don't I'm not sure how far the the contract I don't know how all that works, but normally once you know one of those publishers say okay this is ours now you made it but this is ours now i mean they they have just as much right to just say well okay with the controversies up we're not going to do it sorry but it's ours you can't have it anymore i mean it's so nice to know that dc gave it back to you because they know that you had something I yeah there was be... they really was no malice on their part whatsoever because you're right they could have just said well we own second coming we're we're sitting on it it's just never coming out anywhere but they were very gracious about letting me have the rights back to take it to another company. So really, I have no animus towards them whatsoever. Yeah, no, that's that, that's good to hear. And I, I just want to make sure some of the listeners know how cool DC was on that part, too. Because I know a lot of people try to villainize the big two in any way they can. So I just yeah. put a point in their corner. <laughs> yeah, well, it's easy to imagine side. that, like, oh, the, you know, there, there was this project that didn't happen. There must have been, like, you know, shouting matches and, you know, angry letters but it wasn't like that at all it was all very friendly good 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 um so you go over to ahoy and ahoy i know when it was finally announced you know because it was in limbo for a while they said dc's not going to do it and then there was okay mark russell shopping around and then it came out ahoy and most people were like who (laughs) yeah well and that's that's kind of one of the advantages i think it was a win-win for us because ahoy is a brand new company. They just started in 2018. So, mm-hmm. whereas that sort of publicity was sort of a, a problem for DC, uh, it was actually a pretty welcome problem for Ahoy, which was still trying to get word out about its existence. And so, they uh, and, and it, I think it felt it just kind of fell perfectly within their mission statement, which they sort of think of themselves rightly so as sort of the funny vertigo. <laughs> so to me, it's like, oh, well, this is like the perfect home for for this comic. And it works at a time in this comics, this company's history, where this the controversy and the you know might actually do them some good. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, especially for being a brand that is dedicated to comedy, and that's I mean, every single Ahoy book has to have a, a, a bit of comedy, in it, and I know that's that's part of what they do. So uh, who who I mean I don't think there's ever a time we needed comedy more than right now. So it's uh, I I really think that Ahoy is just one of those uh, man that they're they're gonna be big. I, I I do. I think it's not long before we're talking about them like we are IDW or Dark Horse or any of those other you know big indie publishers out there, especially right. with they, titles like Second Coming. Yeah, well, and I think that one of the things that drew me to Ahoy was the fact that they had done such a quality job with the other titles they're working on, like mm-hmm. um, Wrong Earth was I, I thought spectacular and uh, uh, planet of the nerds. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they really just do really sort of, they, you could tell they, they really believe in every project they do and they put a lot of work into it with the creator and make it successful. As they be. So, yeah. I, I was, um, they didn't have to sell me on a Hoy very hard. Nice. Nice. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with second coming over at Ahoy. And it, like I said, it's, it's opened the door for me. You know, I, I, I'm much more in tune with what's going on at Ahoy now because of this. Uh, so you're, you're right. It was definitely a um, a, a positive but with the whole, you know, having to move thing, uh, I think, on all ends. Um, uh, now, I, how much did that affect the, the creative process? Was the book already completely done and then you just 
copy and paste it over to Ahoy, or did you say, okay, well, we're not at DC now. Let's let's play around a little bit. Maybe we can go a little bit more extreme in some ways that DC might have pushed back beforehand. Is that, yeah, what kind of changes the, were made? Really the second one, um, because, yeah, DC had, even before the controversy, sort of gotten me to, like, make some changes to, uh, you know, pull back on elements they, they thought might be controversial. So I was able to undo a lot of that uh, with um, with Ahoy. Plus, they let me add in extra pages. Like they like for the first mm-hmm. issue, it's thirty pages long, and I think it's such a stronger issue because they allowed me to write the extra pages and spend more time sort of developing the backstory uh, of Jesus Christ to the first time he was on Earth. Uh, so it, they they really made it a much stronger comic just by virtue of like letting me have more room to tell the story. Yeah, no, and I, I, I don't think there's a single page in there that's not necessary. I couldn't imagine the any of these issues being a page shorter. I don't think there's any filler content in there at all. I get something from every single panel out of here. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's all necessary, 100% necessary. So I, I, I do think that it's, I, I couldn't, like I said, I'm repeating myself now, I couldn't imagine this book being any less than it already is. Yeah, well, thanks, and I think that's that's one of the, the the things I take away from this experience is that uh, this was the way the book was meant to be. And so I, it, I, it's, it's lucky for me that it ended up with a, a home that allowed it to be what it was all, what its potential always sort of demanded of it. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's good to know. Um, so uh, can you, out of the, just, let's just talk about the first issue a second. Um, what, how, what was maybe one of the pages that, that DC cut out? Because I, I know there was one specific page where in the background you see Adam kind of playing with his junk <laughs> and all. I mean, was that an, is that was that a part of DC? I mean, was that a page? That was actually. I tried to cut that out. I tried to cut that really and sort of like dip shape fruit out. But Richard was in love with it, so you know he's the artist. So like, well, you're the, you're in charge of the visual, so what you okay. say goes. But uh, but the things that DC wanted out were like pretty much just no swearing by God and Jesus Christ. Right? Oh. I thought was a little sort of like you know fig leafing, and also yeah, just just these little details. But the the big the biggest single difference was that you know DC had that hard and fast twenty two page an issue rule, whereas Ahoy uh, was like, yeah, you want to have thirty pages for the first issue? That's fine. And uh, so that allowed me to include the whole backstory about uh, Jesus's childhood friend, Shimon, and his story. All of that would have been gone from the first issue. If, I couldn't imagine because that's the, that's the, that was the ending that really wrote me in, that made me realize there is so much more than me just laughing at religion throughout this book. Yeah, that was There's really the soul. A story. That was the soul of that first issue, and I think kind of set the tone for the entire series. And I'd written it, you know, with the idea that I, I originally I wanted that to be in the, the series as, as as it was going to be with DC, but there's just no room for it. And so, yeah, that all, in fact, the same is true of issue six with the, you know, the story of like Judas, mm. uh, that would have been gone too if it had come out in its original form and uh, uh, in Vertigo. So the, the, all of the stuff of Jesus going back to his memories and the, uh, you know, dealing with the disciples and uh, and his um, best friend, Jamal, and all of that would have been gone uh, had the, the the book not had the series not gone to Ahoy. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't. There's no way I would have felt as strongly about the book as I did, and without those those lessons to be learned. You know, the, the, I think, yeah, that's the. Those were the kind of the. Here, here's the first issue type of. <laughs> I'm gonna leave you with this. Soak on this for a month. You know, type of thing. And man, yeah, no, there's no way the issues are as strong, uh, nearly as strong without it. So, ah, man, I'm so grateful for Ahoy. <laughs> and yeah, maybe even mm-hmm. in some way the the weird extremists on the internet. Yeah, they really I owe it all to them. Uh, they <laughs> they they managed to get you know they managed to get Second Coming made you know better than it would have before without the controversy. <laughs> and it's and I would imagine in a way that's even more hated in their eyes. I, yeah. I mean, than if it were to come out through DC. It's it, I, I'm sure you know if 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 they'd known what they know now, they would probably have just left it alone. But I think in a lot of ways, the controversy was never really about Second Coming, because as I mentioned, they were up in arms about it before any of them even read a page. What they were really more about was like the idea that somebody who outside their sort of clique of uh, right-wing uh, evangelical institutions, somebody outside those that, that ring of institutions would dare even have an opinion about Jesus Christ or about his mission on earth. I think that's what they found threatening, not so much the contents of second coming itself, which are yes. actually really very pro Christ. It's the idea that somebody was in, was infringing on what they saw as their intellectual property. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a stroke of brilliance, man. It really is. It's, I mean, you can look at it through a way of like, okay, this is, I mean, no matter where you come from, you you uh, what which which background you come from. I myself, I'm not a religious person. Used to be, not anymore. So I can you know I, I know the stories and all of this stuff. I just kind of it's not my thing. So I'm able to look at all of this and laugh, but at the same time, go oh shit, that's a cool perspective, and I didn't think about it this way. And I, all the all these things, and it, it got my mind thinking. And uh, re- I mean, really. <laughs> really, uh, I don't. I mean, I can't even explain the type of thoughts that were coming through my head reading this book. I was, it was racing. So I got to know writing something like this, and you even having a book, uh, writing a, a book. Uh, well, I'm sorry, uh, God is disappointed in you. What's your relationship with religion personally? I guess you know, for a long time, I, I sort of considered myself an atheist. Like I thought, oh, you know, I, I don't really believe any of these stories I was told when I was a kid. But now I real come to realize that I'm really more of a pantheist, okay. by which I mean I I, I see divinity in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we have a need for religious experience. I believe we have a need to feel connected to the universe, to feel that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. But you should be open to finding, and that's what I call divinity. Divinity is whatever makes you feel like your existence wasn't a mistake that that uh. you have a purpose here in the universe and that you're connected to the larger universe. But I think you can find that in anything. I think you can find that in really good conversations with your friends. I think you can find that in a sunset or in a, uh, you know, a work of art or a book that you really enjoy in that you shouldn't. And that by identifying yourself exclusively with one religion, in some ways you close yourself off to these other experiences of divinity. The, you, you think, well, no, divinity is just found in the Bible or divinity is just found in the Quran. And you close yourself off to, you know, the, the divinity you can find in just sort of, a, you know, reading a book in, you know, a park somewhere or just thinking about um, how much you, you, you love another person. And that, those, those should all be considered religious experiences. 
and uh, and I'm, I'm more now about being open to finding divinity in the world around me than trying to funnel it through any sort of particular religious lens. I love it. I, I think that's what makes this book so great, too, is, I mean, uh, reading this, my, my, my first thought was this guy is probably just a very well-read atheist. You know, I mean, more than likely a hardcore Christian isn't writing this book. Um, but somebody that is at least knowledgeable with the, you know, I mean, you, you, you know, I mean, I could tell that you've at least read, read the Bible in some way, shape or form, maybe not front to back, maybe not, I mean, I'm <laughs> religiously, but, um, you, you, you know of it, you know of its contents enough to be able to, to put out something that no one's going to say, well, that's, that's not, that, that wasn't in there. You got yeah, Jesus I've in there saying... I've written What's two that? books about the Bible. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've, I've done a lot of research on the Bible. Yep. I spent three years of my life researching the Bible. And one of the things that I've, I've taken away from the, the Bible is that um, I, I, I think of Christian now as not really a designation of like, oh, well, this person believes this, therefore they're a Christian. I think of Christian more in the sense of like, this is like something Christ would say, or this is something mm -hmm. Christ would do. And I think that if that's how you define Christian and Christianity, then it's an incredibly positive force. And I, and I wholly encourage people to be Christians in the sense that I encourage them to like actually learn about the, what, what the, the, the thoughts and deeds of Christ and to emulate them. I don't have a lot of respect for Christianity in the sense that like, Oh, I'm a Christian because this, this is something, a set of dogma that I've, I've signed on to, And now I can go back to being an asshole, you know? <laughs> Nope, I fully agree, and like I said, that's kind of why my myself, I took a step back and then realized, oh, that's not, no. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I was somebody that, you know, I, I was religious, but, you know, and, and that's why I'm able to appreciate things like this even more, um, because, you know, I understand the content that you're talking about. And, and Christi Christian is much more a profound term to me when I think, it, when you think of it as something, a description of what you do, not just something you are. Mm. Yes. See, I like that. I I knew just <laughs> I knew that in this interview you were gonna say something enlightening to me just because I have how many times I was enlightened throughout the I don't know almost two hundred pages <laughs> of uh, Second Coming, man. It's uh, I I knew that this this interview was gonna bring out something enlightening on audio. Well, that's well, for thanks. sure. Well, thanks. And I think as as it relates to my personal religious identity, it's like I don't really see any point in defining myself or as describing myself as a Christian, because I don't believe it's just something you are, but I do try to like in my actions and the way I interact with other people, try to be Christian in the sense that I try to like interact with people with the same sort of generosity and understanding that Christ would. Uh, mind, man. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't succeed, you know, always by any stretch of the imagination, but to me, that's what, where Christianity gets its meaning is in the aspiration of being somebody who will, uh, who will reach out to other people in a, from a place of generosity and forgiveness. Yeah, and well, and after hearing all that now, it makes me uh, look at uh, Second Coming through another lens, and that might be the message that Jesus is trying to pr portray throughout this whole thing as well. I mean, just, I, I did, I guess I didn't tell you this, I did just go through and record an entire episode directly dedicated to Second Coming. It just went 
uh, up this morning as we speak. So, I mean, I, I binge read this thing and then I went through and read it again in detail and talked about it uh, almost page for page. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, with it being so fresh in my head and looking at it through the different angle yet again, man, this is uh, it's almost due for another reread and it's only been a few hours. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, that's high praise. Thank you. Uh, well, no, it's 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 um, a necessary praise. It really is, and I I, I want to make sure that anybody that you know has had second thoughts about reading this book, or you know, I, 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 there's a big reason why I brought you on, so that you know we could hear it from the creator's mouth. You're not just some guy out there shitting on Jesus because you can. Like that's not. No, what Jesus is like the uh, the good guy in this book. Exactly, exactly. It's the, just the, uh, the one you actually kind of sympathize with the most. One hundred percent, man. Especially, what was it the end of that third issue when he winds up in jail and no one believes me? And I, I like the look on his face, man. That was, whew, it, it is deep stuff. I think it was the third issue that he ends up in jail. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it really is somebody that you really sympathize for, and just the 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 knowledge lessons that he throws at us and. Once again, I, I I still can't believe that DC wasn't going to let you throw in that stuff about his friend. Uh, well, and, and I think the, it was more of a space issue. It wasn't that well, they had I, any connections to it. It was just kind of like they 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 have like a structure and they want it very plot oriented. They want it to be sort of like you know every they want every issue to be sort of a car chase. Uh, and whereas Ahoy is much more sort of character oriented. We want to take time to develop these characters and to like see what makes them tick. So it was just like their their artistic uh, philosophy is a little different. It allowed me the room to sort of like actually get into his background and do things that weren't maybe necessarily putting pushing the plot forward, but that were adding a, a dimension of meaning to the to the character that that wouldn't be there otherwise. That makes sense. That does make a lot of sense. Um, and while I'm thinking about it, I have one last question about Second Coming before we can move into your uh, your other stuff you're, 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 you're working on right now. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, Sunstar is very much Superman in this sense. Yeah, in uh, fact, it was originally pitched as a Superman comic, and they were like, uh, we get death threats when Superman refuses to say the Pledge of Allegiance, so this will not fly as okay. a Superman comic. But they said, you know, change the it to another superhero, just a generic superhero, and you will own the the, the intellectual property, and we'll publish it as a creator-owned title on, on Vertigo. So that's originally how it went to Vertigo. But yeah, originally I was good, and it, and it worked. It was good too that it, it made it so it wasn't about Superman because Superman is such a great guy. It would have been like two great guys hanging out together, whereas Sunstar's a little more full of himself. He's a little more sort of buys into his press and is tripped up by his own ego and his own power. So he makes a better sort of counterpart to Jesus Christ than, than Superman would have. That makes a lot of sense. It does. Uh, see, I, w I was wondering what kind of <laughs> thoughts DC had about, I mean, were they, I couldn't imagine them going, you know, you just bringing them Sunstar and them going, but wait a second, we have this guy already. So that, that, that makes sense how that would come about. I, yeah, he's sort of more it. of a corrupted Superman. Like if Superman were like had the same, if, if Superman wasn't so morally and uh, mentally strong, right. he was susceptible to the same sort of temptations and uh, pettiness that the rest of us are, that's more like what he would be like. That Okay, that makes a lot of sense. 
that makes a lot of sense. Right on, man. Well, I've, this is, I, I love talking with you about Second Coming. I, this has really been my favorite quarantine read. It has been. I'm, I'm a big fan. I can't wait for more. And you say you probably maybe go as far as 30 issues with this? That's my hope. Yeah, I mean, cool. who knows? Uh, but yeah, I'm already written eleven. I, I, I would, at the very least, I would like to do like like eighteen to twenty-four. Right on. Um, any idea when the uh, second volume is slated to launch? Issue seven. We're not even going to talk about timing until they uh, until that makes the, sense. Yeah, exactly. Until the industry is the wheels are moving again. Right. But on. my hope is before the end of 2020. Oh, cool. So, all right. As long, I mean, I'm just happy to hear at some point by the end of the year, there's a chance. I'll, that's I'll take that's that. my goal. I, I, again, we will have to respond to the market realities once there's a market again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because even with things opening up here in a couple of weeks, uh, it's not going to be the same. We're going to have to, you know, take yeah. a step back and judge some things for a while because unfortunately a lot of shops have fallen. So that's going to affect the direct markets yeah, there, everything, in so many ways. The distribution and yeah. and yeah, we don't know how... If, how much the market itself is going to come back. Right. So yeah, we, uh, um, it will come back. The, uh, it will come out at some point. It's just, we have to figure out where boy of the land is before we can make things specific date. Right on. Um, well, okay. So, uh, that, that's, that's second coming. We, I think I've ha- said everything I need to say about second coming. I'm sure as soon as I get off, I'll think of 20 <laughs> more questions about it, but I, I want to talk about billionaire Island now. Okay. Um, now this is, uh, I, 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 admittedly, I haven't had the chance to check it out, but, uh, this, this sounds absolutely incredible, but at the same time, kind of eerily relating to the times we're in now <laughs> in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And, and in a way I hadn't entirely planned, uh, when, when I started writing it, uh, it is very much about like sort of a, and I don't want to say post-apocalyptic, it's more of a pre-apocalyptic story. It's about people gearing up for the end of the world. Like the billionaires understand, despite whatever they've been telling the rest of us, that the world is about to end and they need to get on an island somewhere to um, wait it out while they leave the rest of us sort of holding the bag. And that's sort of the premise of the, of the story. So I was writing this, you know, it would have been cool if there was some way it could have come out during the pandemic because a lot of it is about like how they would handle like, uh, you know, bunkering down differently than the rest of us. And, and also about like, you know, how the world is sort of falling apart. Uh, so, uh, but, but yeah, it, in a way it's, it's, it's more relevant than, than I imagined it being. And I've, I've, I had that, you know, sort of happen with me before. and like, like Prez where it's like, I meant for this to be like happening in the distant future, but it's actually sort of happening now. You know, thing uh. like, president being elected on twitter yeah yeah seriously <laughs> oh man um uh, well so uh at this point in time there's there's one issue that's available right yeah issue one came out before the shutdown okay. and th- th- we've actually finished art on all six uh so uh we're we're discussing now whether or not it's just going to go through a normal release cycle like we were planning once everything comes back or whether or not we should just maybe just release it as a trade yeah 
Well, either way, you're definitely going to have my money on this because Thanks. after after reading Second Coming and knowing that you have something else coming out through Ahoy, I have all of the faith in this project, especially, like I said, I mean, with the relation yeah. to current events, this seems all too perfect to not I'm have really in my hands right now. It. And, and um, especially because I get, it gave me a chance to work with Steve Pugh again, who uh, mm-hmm. did the art on the Flintstones. And in a lot of ways, you know, the way Flintstones kind of tells the story about the beginning of civilization, this sort of bookends. This is a story about the end of the civilization. Perfect. So, um, in a lot of ways, it sort of picks up maybe where we left off with the Flintstone. Oh man, how how awesome! That's that's brilliant. There's a lot of brilliance in that head of yours, man. I can't. You're so young in this this career too. I mean, this. Uh, I, I well, I have to ask now. I mean, what kind of legacy do you want in comics? You're just getting started, really, for the most part. I mean, is there is. is I mean, there's something that, you know, you just, you want second coming to be your thing and you're cool with that? Or do you just, you plan on keeping going? Is there a big two IP that you want to put your stamp on? I mean, what kind of legacy do you want in this industry, Mark? Well, what I really like about comics as a medium is just that it's a chance to engage in thought experiments you can't really do in any other sort of medium because the the investment is relatively low in comics. You're not spending millions of dollars making a movie or a TV show. So you don't have a bunch of executives and focus groups looking over your shoulder all the time. Mm-hmm. So w- because the stakes are relatively low and you've got more freedom to tell the kind of story you want to, uh, you might as well take some chances. You might as well, you know, do the things that they can't necessarily, you know, that aren't going to be obviously like, oh, this is like a safe network sitcom type material. Or, oh, this is a police procedural. Like leave those to the networks and the focus groups and the the um, executives who are just trying to duplicate past success. If you're writing a comic book, swing for the fences, do something strange that nobody's ever seen before, because that's well, one of the few mediums where you can get away with doing that. And so I think my my aspiration really is just to like be part of the uh, the human conversation we call culture to maybe bring up something new or some thoughts that people wouldn't have had otherwise without these comic books. And to just maybe have it, you know, join the, the the genome of human culture in some small way. Well, I, I take that as is you want to bring comics to a new level, and I think that you've already started doing that with Second Coming. I really do, man. This is I I don't remember the last time I felt with this book like this. Uh, I mean, I and I mean, I, I really just uh, as someone that you know shouldn't be. Uh, I mean, I I I I have a history of really just kind of taking a laugh at religion and in, in, in general but for for jesus to say something profound through your words and me to go holy shit um <laughs> that, that's uh that, to me that's taking comics to another level um and it's to to use a character like jesus when was the last time jesus was used in a comic i mean i can't think of it uh, that's 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 a big step man that's a big step and i know that you know it's uh, you take uh, uh Thinking outside the box, uh, stretching the boundaries. I mean, this is that's all in Second Coming for sure. So with this really being a big your big breakout book, and not your first book, obviously, but the r- book that really puts you on the map, at least in my eyes. Um, yeah, I, I'm so excited to see what the the future brings for you after hearing that from you, man. It's this is I can only imagine this is just the beginning. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I hope I still got something left in the tank. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Um, man, I've I've learned so much about you, about Second Coming. I've had a lot of questions answered. 
Uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but there is one thing I like to do with my uh, with my creator interviews. I like to kind of rapid fire some questions just to kind of, I mean, some of them are kind of white red. Some of them are, you know, directed for Mike, Mark Russell. Um, but uh, yeah, just kind of off the top of your head without thinking too much. I want to throw some questions out at you and just to kind of get of an idea, get more of an idea of who you are as a creator and what you sure. enjoy. Are, are you cool with this? Just yeah, like probably. three or four questions, maybe. Four. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, so I got to know what's, what's, I'm going to, I'm going to replacing the word favorite with best. Uh, so just keep that in mind. What's the best chapter uh, or not chapter, a uh, book in the Bible. The one I love, really like is, even though it's a minor prophet and pretty short book is, is Hosea. Cause it just tells the story of this guy whose wife is always cheating on him and it's driving him crazy. And he's like, he's trying to preach about the love of God to people, but no one takes him seriously. You know, his wife is out cheating on him while he's preaching. So all kind of snickering about it. And it goes, it's the point where she actually, you know, is kidnapped by one of her lovers and sold into slavery. And Hosea actually has to buy his wife back from the man she ran off with. And people are like, how can, you know, he goes out to preach about, about God. And people are like, how, wait, I just got to ask, how can you keep preaching? How can you be, keep coming out here when, you know, your, your wife is cheating on you and, and you keep bringing her back. Why do you keep bring, taking her back? And then he says, well, that's the way the love of God is that even though we we're always cheating on him, he always forgives us. And then they finally understood what he was talking about. So I don't know. It's just, it works in this very sort of profound metaphorical way that not too many other books of the Bible work on this sort of, you know, story like narrative. Wow. Wow. That's what an answer, man. Um, so, uh, what, what's the, what's the best hero in comics? And you can um, say Stunstar if you want to. I'm cool with that. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think the best hero is Superman because he is truly the most heroic in the okay. sense that his real superpower is that he doesn't go crazy. He is the, someone who maintains the fortitude of spirit of like, like, that better than any other character, which he has to do because he's got so much absolute power that if he weren't, if he were to falter for a minute, it could end with the destruction of everything else on the planet. So I think he's definitely the most heroic. Uh, one of, I th but I also really like the heroes that sort of um, work through their limitations. I, I think probably my favorite hero um, right now, just as, you know, my, as a matter of product, my mood is Swamp Thing. Not only because I've been writing some Swamp Thing, but um, also just because I feel like he's like this great sort of meaning of different aspects of the soul. Like he, uh, he's he got the brain of a scientist, and yet he's got sort of the soul of the poet. He talks in these sort of really sort of uh, gothic sort of monologues through his, his captions and his narrative, but he's also got the sort of analytic mind of a scientist. And you don't find that combination very often in comics. So he's probably my favorite hero right now. That's awesome, man. Um, sidebar, uh, what Swamp Thing are you writing? I'm writing the... Uh, I was writing this for the Swamp Thing Giants. They're releasing him now as a digital first okay. uh, series called um, New Roots. But I did a series of like six Swamp Thing shorts to tell one overarching story. Uh, so the, 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 those are coming out digitally now. That's awesome. Yeah, because they're, they're like eight-page digital things for like 99 cents or something like that. Yeah, these are 16-page okay. short stories. Uh, all, and I'm doing, I did a series of them for Batman, too. 
but yeah, sixteen nice. page swamp thing starts to tell the story of of tells a a swamp thing story. Oh, I can't wait to check those out. Jeez, man, Mark Russell writing Swamp Thing. Uh, um, I, I really I, say that again. I really enjoyed writing Swamp Thing. Right on. Uh, when are they going to be released? Uh, they're coming out now. I think the the third one comes out. Uh, came out yesterday. Jeez. All right. Cool. I'm gonna get on that immediately. That sounds amazing. Um, so, uh, what's the best villain in comics? Best villain. I. I. For me, I have always really loved Magneto. Because I think ah. the, the villains I respond to the most are the ones who I, I kind of understand their point. They're not just evil for the sake of evil. They have like a clear perspective. Yep. And Magneto is one of these guys where it's like, oh, I hope he loses. But damn, I, I kind of understand where he's coming from. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm, I've always been in that same boat with Magneto as well. I love it. Uh, what was the last comic book you read? Last comic book I read was um, the... Uh, House of X, Powers of X, ah, uh, which you know I think probably was kind of the most boring answer you give because I think everyone's reading it. Uh, also, um, recently read uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's Metabarons series, which I was just brilliant. It's like it almost feels like Greek mythology written for a future civilization. Wow, that's uh, I I wrote that down. That that, that sounds awesome. Um, uh, and okay. And what is your favorite single issue comic book you've ever read? Your favorite issue contained in 20, 30 pages. Um, you know, there was this swamp thing story that Alan Moore did that, um, just sort of blew me away, uh, where it tells the, the story of this housewife who becomes a, uh, werewolf when she, um, has, when she menstruates and, it's about really about sort of uh, domestic oppression and about how she, she kills her. She turns into a werewolf and she kills her abusive husband and she uh, destroys the, uh, the, um, the store that sells like pots and pans and whatnot. And when she's cornered and she realizes that she's going to be destroyed for finally fighting back against all the institutions that have oppressed her, she throws herself onto a steak knife display at the supermarket killing herself and it's just such a great metaphor and it's just like heart-wrenching and yet it also works on this sort of uh, macabre supernatural horror level it's just one of the i don't know if it's the best but it's certainly one that immediately pops in mind because it was uh, like a whole world contained in you know 22 pages i love it and see that's that's why i think that that question's important um because there's <laughs> it's hard to find a, an entire story that could be well told in uh, of, of just, you know, like I said, 20 or 30 pages. So I, I like to know as many of them out there as possible. And I've actually heard of this one. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to definitely give it a read now myself. Uh, man, that's Swamp Thing. I'm, I can't wait to read your Swamp Thing, man. I really can't. I'm so excited. Um, well, it's not as good as the Alan Moore Swamp Thing, but I, but I try to do it justice. <laughs> right on right on i'm sure i'm sure you do i'm sure you do so uh, i i gotta know man what what 
what else can we expect from Mark Russell 2020? What 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 else is coming? I know that you're working on Billionaire Island, you're working on Second Coming, whether you know when they're released and how they're released from this point on is a question. Yeah, uh, you got you got Swamp Thing in the works. Uh, what else can we expect from you? I know that's all I, I got a lot. couple of uh, creator owned projects that I'm working on that haven't been announced yet and also uh, I'm doing the uh, the Marvel Snapshot series with Kurt Busiek. Uh, mm-hmm. We're doing a um, Captain America story set during the 1975-76 like Mad Bomb story. Uh, so that's coming out in June, which I'm really looking forward to. And then, yeah, I've got some Batman and Swamp Thing stories coming out. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. It's good to know that uh, you're going to be staying busy during all of this, during this year, because I know that everything's in question right now. Yeah, that's I don't true. know what to expect from anyone, any of the creators. I mean, they say one thing two months ago, but I don't think it, most of that stuff is actually going to happen, or at least when they say it's going to happen now. So Yeah, it's, 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 like, it's like I'm on a raft, so I feel kind of safe because I'm, I'm on the raft, but, it's, it's, but I don't feel entirely safe because I, I know there's a waterfall somewhere on the river. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a that's a great metaphor. No, that's that's proper for sure. Um, well, Mark Russell, I have had an amazing time talking with you. I love Second Coming. I can't wait to read everything else that you've done. What's coming out? Uh, I, I really need to get my hands on Billionaire Island. I'm gonna see if my my LCS can get a hold of that for me. Um, great. Yeah, I uh, well shoot. I, I can't wait to talk to you again. <laughs> once more of the stuff has come out, once once the creator of these unannounced creator-owned projects are announced, and ah, uh, man, it's it's good to know that Mark Russell's staying busy. I, you got yourself a fan, that's for sure, a forever Thanks. fan. This yeah, is amazing. No, I'm, I'm, I, I I couldn't imagine a better job, so I'm I'm grateful. I I'm see I'm. <laughs> I do this because I, I, I'm envious of your job. I know that <laughs> I, I, I wish I had that kind of talent, man. I think comic book creators are the most talented people on the planet because they have to devote themselves to a craft that really doesn't get any appreciation at all, for one. I mean, as far as you know, when, you, when you brass tacks of it, you guys are extremely underpaid. Uh, the, the work that goes into it is very grueling. The, the fan base is probably some of the, the hardest fans to deal with. Apparently, even people that aren't fans of comics are hard to deal with in this industry. Yeah, that's so, kind of why I, all those factors are kind of why I think you, if you're going to be writing a comic book, you should be writing something, you know, kind of nutty. You should be writing something that's, that's out there because you're not getting, you know, paid enough to sell your soul to write like some boring, you know, NCIS you know, rip off or something, or, you know, uh, you should be willing if you, you know, if you should, you're getting paid little enough and you're dealing with enough, uh, you're already in the middle of such a maelstrom. You might as well, you know, be as out there as you can be, get away with sort of radical storytelling in a way you wouldn't be able to in any other medium. That's amazing advice. And I I like to think that anybody listening to this right now that's aspiring to creating comics is pulled over and taking notes because that, that that's that's incredible advice. I don't think anybody's given that advice yet on this show from all the creators I've talked to. I've talked to quite a few now. So go nutty. <laughs> I love it. That's 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 amazing. Uh Mark, I I think I've taken enough of your time now. I know you're a busy guy. I want to get you back to writing issue number 11 of Second Coming because I need it. I need it this year. Uh, Maybe not 11, but 7 at least Um, (laughs) by the end of the year. Thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. 
All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Take care and stay safe. All right. Bye. And cheers. All right. There you have it. Another creator has been cornered. Another interview is in the books. And uh, I'm always impressed. I'm always, I'm never not impressed when it comes to these creator interviews. There's just something special about comic book creators. Mark Russell continues to prove my point. So I hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoy talking to Mark Russell. I hope his advice is sound. Uh, there's, it's just an interesting guy. He's just as interesting to talk to as his work is to read. So I highly suggest, if you haven't already, to pick up Second Coming. Uh, I know I look forward to catching up on Billionaire Island. I know I'm gotten, I'm signed up on number two, so I got to find issue number one. Uh, yeah, no, this is great stuff. Great stuff coming out of this man. So. I hope you have enjoyed. Now, as always, I have to remind you to support this podcast by heading over to patreon.com, patreon.com slash cheers to comics to be even more precise. And from there, you're going to sign up as a true member of the Slurred Army and you're supporting this podcast in a way that I just, I really don't have the words to actually thank you enough. So you're just going to have to trust me that I am more than appreciative, (laughs) more than appreciative of several different levels and tiers to choose from. And, uh, yeah, but for as little as a buck, you get to show your support for this podcast, and you get benefits, like, uh, episodes way before they go up. This instance, for, uh, this instance, this episode, for instance, has been up on Patreon for about six weeks. Yep, if you were a patron, you could have listened to this episode a long time ago. Uh, and completely ad-free. So... There you go. That was just one of the perks. And that starts at just the bottom tier at just a buck. It's that easy. Also, make sure you leave your five-star review on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, and anywhere you could leave reviews for podcasts. You have no idea, if you're not a podcaster, uh, how important five-star reviews are to the growth of indie podcasts. So if you're out there being charitable and whatnot, and drop a five-star rating and say something funny and witty and i'll read it on the podcast so as always thank you for tuning in this has been an interview with mark russell this is the 196th episode you slurds wash your hands wear a mask read responsibly cheers fuckers Hi, you're listening to Cheers to Comics Podcast. This is Mark Russell, and you're listening to the Cheers to Comics Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Monty Michael Moore, and this is the Cheers to Comics Podcast with Brian Wayne. Hey, this is Liz. Hey, this is Heather. And we are Nerdy Bitches Podcast. A show where two geeky ladies podcast their way through pop culture. From movies and TV to our regular book club and everything in between, we bring you our favorite fandoms with a feminine eye. We are talking Star Wars, Star Trek, DC Marvel, comic books, and anime. And don't forget sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, video games, D&D, board games, and so much more. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you find awesome podcasts. You can also find us hanging out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and at nerdybitches.com. See you soon.